Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you, Lord God, for the fact that we get to be here. We're not so big that we have to stay home. <laughs> I think that's how the edict went from the BC government. We're not so big that we had to stay home, that we could be here today. We bless your church, oh, Lord God. No, seriously, we bless your church. We bless your church here in Kamloops, Lord God. Bless them to go deeper with you, Lord Jesus. We want to go deeper with you. Bless, bless the church, Lord God, for the wake up in the most holy faith. Even as we come into this season of Lent, as we remember your journey to the cross, Lord God, will you stir up faith in us and in our hearts? We thank you, Lord God, for your presence with us. Thank you that, Lord, your Holy Spirit is our rear guard and that your word lights a path for us. Blaze a trail today, Lord Jesus, for us, will you? In your word and in your spirit, we pray. Jesus, he still calms the storms. Uh, obviously, this is a story that is geared for the season that we're in right now. Maybe it has been on the back burners for us in Canada for a while, but has become suddenly to the forefront. Well, today is a, is a story that, it, that is based all around the inspiration of that. Um, you know, if I think about Lent, if, if, you know, we, could, we could pick any of the stories of journeys, of Jesus' journey to the cross. But this story has some application for us here today. So hear what Matthew writes out of the 8th chapter in the 16th verse. We'll pick it up there. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought back to him. And he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. He got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. With the eyes of our heart and our faith solidly fixed on Jesus, 
we enter into yet this another week of this hallowed season of Lent. For 40 days, we've been sojourning with the sojourning with the Spirit in the Word of God. And together with really countless Christians around the world and through the ages, we are recalling stories and events that compels us towards the cross with Jesus. Now, ultimately, this celebration of remembrance leads us to the great celebration, doesn't it? When the church again will herald the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Jesus, our Savior, has overcame, he's overcome Hades and death. Death and hell no longer have hold over him. And if it is true of him, it is safe to venture that death and hell ultimately have no power and no hold on us who believe. True? Yes. Amen. What sort of man is this? That the winds and the seas do what he says. I love how that story finishes off there. <laughs> yeah, I can just see someone up there in the sales going, <laughs> come on. Did you have to like calm it completely? Come on. <laughs> no motors. But really, honestly, like in the wake of these surreal events, is it not surreal? Come on. That our whole world is suffering under right now and they are laboring. This story presents critical truths that Jesus is calling all of us into. Today's story leaps out of the passages of three of our synoptic gospels. But reasoning over which account to draw from, I chose the good news of Matthew. I thought, well, Matthew, after all, he was there, wasn't he? He was there with Jesus and the other disciples in Peter's house when the teacher healed Peter's mother from her fever with only a gentle touch. Matthew was there that same evening when the house swelled with people who literally were possessed with demons. He'd watched Jesus cast out the spirits with the word of command. And he'd watched him while he pressed in to heal everyone who was sick. Now, I have to put myself into Matthew's shoes here, or sandals, I guess. I have to put myself there, and, and I can't imagine that he wasn't anything but deeply stirred with things felt and witnessed. Matthew recounts the, the only thing that could explain what his mind was reasoning and his heart was feeling. Surely this is the one that the words of the prophet Isaiah heralded would come. Surely he took our infirmities and bore our diseases. 
Jesus came to take our pain in our weaknesses. Jesus came to, to bear the load, to carry away our diseases, our sickness. And there he is exerting his authority over demons, over disease, over weakness. And crowds began forming. Jesus watched the crowds gather around him. Surely the word was getting out about him. What had first happened to Peter's mother, and then suddenly there's a rush of people who've got some things that they need deliverance from and healing in. I suspect that there were people there that just thought they were coming for healing. They didn't know that deliverance was part of the package. True? Yeah, I think so. Now, not everything that we ail from is attached to a spirit. That would be a, that'd be a crazy theology for us to leap all over, and I have seen done. But he starts first with casting out the demons. I love that. Now, Jesus could have, he could have simply set up shop right there, couldn't he have? Right? He could have begun his own Azusa Street revival. Of course, nobody knew what that was, but, you know, he could have done that. But Jesus is on a mission, and they needed to move on. So he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Matthew records this, doesn't he? <laughs> it's really highly informative. He got into the boat. And it's Jesus. He got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. <laughs> That's awesome. Jesus is on the move. I should follow him because I'm one of his disciples. It's a good note for us. Jesus is on the move. I should follow him. I don't know what's more arresting about Matthew's account. Maybe it's the swiftness of the storm, the storm that comes upon them. And it said, suddenly, it's almost like they just pushed their boat out into the water and suddenly the storm's upon them. Or maybe it's because we find Jesus fast asleep. And the disciples have to wake him up to get his attention. Mark's gospel, I love this, Mark's gospel has him comfortably asleep on a cushion in the stern. <laughs> I like that. Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. You don't have to have that much of an imagination to sense their exasperation and their panic. Mark puts it this way, Teacher, don't you care if we perish? <laughs> the sea was, has always been, so you got to understand something, the sea has always been a symbol of wild and untamable power. There was a few fishermen, wasn't there? A 
you know, maybe the tax collector was losing it before the fisherman. I don't know, right? I know I sh shouldn't have cheated those people. I knew it. Jews as a whole were not, I will tell you, they were not a seafaring people. Now, their neighbors to the north and to their south, Phoenicia and Egypt, these were maritime nations. They were serious maritime nations. And they actually traveled and traded with nations bordering all around the Mediterranean Sea and beyond. They were serious maritimers. But Israel's, their emphasis was tied to the, to the land. <laughs> land. Right? And more than just tied to the land, it was their source. It was their place of promised blessing. In Jewish writing, the, the sea largely remained a place of and power of darkness and evil. It was a threatening, wild, and unpredictable place and power. The sea in the Old Testament, we do know, though, was tamed by God in, in the Exodus, was it not? It had opened up to reveal Israel's only way of escape from Pharaoh's army, their, their backs backed literally into the sea. There was nowhere else for them to go. And the sea opened up for them. And no sooner had they made their way through the sea and onto the other side that the Israelites turned to watch that same sea bear down on the Egyptians, crushing and drowning the entire body of charioteers and soldiers. It doesn't give you a real warm, fuzzy feeling about the sea. God used the sea, though, to save his people. And he also used the sea, the power of it, to destroy Israel's enemy. And then there's the story of Jonah. There's not a lot of accounts in the Old Testament about the, the sea. A few. But then there's the story of Jonah. God used an angry sea to stop his wayward prophet right in his tracks, didn't he? To send him back precisely to the place and into the mission of saving an entire people that had never heard his name. Now, without going into the lengths of Jonah's story, and there's lots that we could pull out of there, God's love for people is staggering. That, that's at the root of the story of, of the city of Nineveh is this truth that God truly loves people. And all of this, in some way, serves as a bit of our backdrop for our story today. Don't you think that this sea was, and even in the story of Jonah, Jonah was very much in the, in the minds of some of those disciples who had been very familiar with those stories. Jesus, in a way, represents 
a type of Jonah. The difference being, (laughs) the storm hasn't come up because he's refused to do what the Father has sent him to do. But it really comes up for a couple of different reasons, and, and, and I'm sure we could dig out more if we wanted to. But one of those reasons is there are kingdoms in conflict. I believe in some measure that it came about as an assault from the enemy. The menacing fierceness and the suddenness of the storm suggests something almost demonic and sinister about it. In the natural, storms occur when two different weather fronts come colliding together, do they not? On one hand, I see the storm as representative of the kingdom of God coming into conflict with the kingdoms and powers of this world. And they're coming right in the face of it. Jesus is right at the point of the spear. And the kingdom of God is advancing. And the gates of hell will not stand. The evidence of that was already happening happening in Capernaum when Jesus had faced those demonic powers that had been holding maybe not one person for one generation, but maybe because of many generations coming in to herald the good news and to proclaim the goodness and love of God. But the other is is that I, I believe that this story allows us to see that Jesus not only has authority over the demonic realm that captures and oppresses people, but Jesus has authority over the created world itself. The disciples have to wake him up. I love that. I wish I could sleep like that. The cat jumps up in the bed and I'm awake, you know? Of course, he is over 20 pounds now, you know. Should start calling him Little Thunder or something, I don't know. (laughs) We had a bit of a spat this morning underneath the art table where I was working. He was firmly convinced it was time to feed him some treats and I was not impressed with him. Even when I get up really early, he thinks that I want him with me all the time. It's just not simply true. I don't know why I'm going here. This is not a bit of a rabbit trail. But, but a cat trail. Yeah, it is a bit of a cat trail. But there is something almost comical, is there not? about having to wake Jesus up. But it's interesting, you know, Jesus gets up, he doesn't have to call to anyone, does he? He's not asking anyone for help. In fact, he, he's not even asking his father. Jesus simply got up and rebuked the winds and the wave. 
He, Jesus, got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. How calm was it after Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves? It was completely calm. Completely calm. Have you ever felt completely calm on your own spirit? Ever? Well, those are not hollowed moments. <laughs> Looking through the lens of my Greek interlinear Bible and Mark's gospel, Mark records that he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence! Be still! Another version of that verse from my friend N.T. Wright, he writes, he scolded the wind and he said to the sea, silence, shut up. <laughs> that still has me thinking. Shut the seas up. Yeah, right. Shut them up. Quit opening up. Shut up. Be still. Transitioning us in the heart of what we need to really hear from today, and especially in this season that we're in, I want you to try and see something with me. Jesus, I want to assure you, did not wake up feeling out of sorts. Just suggesting, maybe. Jesus did not wake up like some emotionally detached and angry God who doesn't want to be bothered. He didn't wake up scolding the disciples. But I believe that he gently and calmly invites the question of his disciples and us. Why are you afraid? <laughs> Have you ever had Jesus ask you that question? I have. I've asked myself that question. Have you ever asked yourself that question? David, why are you afraid? I think it kind of goes with that question that God had for Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? Like right now, where, where are you? Well, I was afraid, so I, I hid. And that's one of the things that we do when we're fearful is that we, we hide. And then he asks this question, where is your faith? Those are, those are some sobering questions, but they're good questions. 
They're not meant to shame us, to scold us, but to draw us to him. To pay attention to those issues that are on our heart. You have to wonder where those disciples are at. I mean, my mind kind of ran around, carrying on the conversation. I imagine Jesus saying, have you so quickly forgotten about the great fun that we had yesterday? No, really, wasn't that fun? Have you so quickly forgotten about Peter's mother? How the fever left her with the simplest touch? Did you see my power? Did you see the power of God moving through these people? And say nothing about the crowds of people that we saw delivered, healed, and, and, and their lives gloriously transformed. Don't you know that their lives are going to be forever changed because of what was going on there? Were you, were you there? Did you, did you not see that with me? Did you not feel joy rising up with me in that? Were we not joyful when we pushed out into the water together? God's love and power is with us. Our Father cares deeply for those people that we left behind in Capernaum. And he cares deeply about the others that we are going to see on the other side of the lake. And if he cares for these ones, don't you know that he cares for you? Why are you afraid? Good question. Obviously, I need more evidence. <laughs> oh. Man, they, you don't understand, this is it's still kind of early in the ministry. They got a lot of things to sort out. Namely, like, who is this guy? Who is he really? And what's all this stuff about Jonah? Why, why include him in today's message? Like Jesus, Jonah was a sign to the Jews that their God cares for everyone, not just Israel. God cares deeply for this world that we live in here today. That is what I take from that and I give to you. When I see the storm all around us, literally wrapping itself around the globe, I want to declare to you that God cares deeply for this world. He cares for these people. In my prayers for the, ourselves and for the world today and looking at this, 
I had this very quiet, sort of still moment with the Lord and quiet moment with the Lord. And I think he knew that I was thinking about some things. Because he kind of jumped to the front of the line and he said, and he, and he said to me, David, this is not from me and I didn't send this. Now, I've hesitated sharing that with you today. Don't ask me why, but I, I did. You can't ask me why. Go ahead, ask me why. Why? Because God loves people. Like, he has taken it all on himself. He has taken it fully on the chin, right? All of our iniquity, our weaknesses, our predisposition towards sin, and he has given it it all. You know, the word of God tells me that before I even knew him, he would already determined and laid down his life for me. Chosen me beforehand. That's a whole other conversation. He breaks me with his kindness. Right? He's a good God. And he wants to overwhelm me. He wants to overwhelm you. He wants to overwhelm the world with his goodness. You'll have to come in two weeks to hear the rest of that one. It's not from me, David. I didn't send this. When we sign on with Jesus, we've enlisted with him, really. We've enlisted into the kingdom of God and his work here on the earth. And maybe you just thought you were coming to get saved because you knew you needed it, but you didn't realize you got constricted, man. You are in the army now. When we sign on with Jesus... We've signed on to follow him wherever he leads us. I actually had to think about that this morning. That's why I wrote it, but it's, you know, I had to think about that. Wow. That means you call the shots, Jesus, and I follow. Jesus gave orders for his followers to cross to the other side of the lake. I like that Matthew includes it like that, with a command almost. This is where we're going, boys. He got into the boats, or boat, and his disciples followed him. Interesting, I think it's Mark that actually picks up that there were other boats going with them. You don't find that in all of the Gospels, but that's... <laughs> I was kind of imagining myself, what would it look like if I was on all the other boats watching those guys carrying on over there? Who's captaining that boat anyways? Like, what's going on over there? Or were they all just 
trying desperately to save their lives. I don't know. But we'll leave it at what Matthew has to share. He got into the boat and his disciples followed him. They didn't ask why. Why are we going there? <laughs> I didn't, I don't, that didn't, didn't, wasn't there. They could have easily assumed, well, we got in the boat because that's the way we get to the other side of the lake. Why did the chicken cross the road? I didn't know, because he needed to get to the other side. Maybe it presented as a faster and more direct route to the destination that they were going in. What they didn't know was that a storm was going to bear down on them. Which kind of makes me wonder, did Jesus know there was a storm going to bear down on them? It doesn't say he did, doesn't say he didn't. But they had, a, they had the answer, didn't they? The whole time was with them. But he was at rest, peacefully sleeping in the stern of the boat. That should be a good lesson for us right there. When we sign on with Jesus, you can rest assured that wind and storms are going to come our way. But we have this promise. Jesus is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Jesus is with you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. Pressing deeper into the call of Jesus and, and journeying toward the celebration of Easter, we are, we are charged to glory in God with all of creation and to proclaim with all of the angels in heaven that Jesus has broken the power of evil on the cross. The tomb remains empty. The stone that encapsulated Jesus' body has been rolled away. Isn't it great that we get to read that narrative from this side of the book? We've, we've read the end of the book and we get to go back and read it again. Isn't that awesome? We know the outcome. Death is defeated and Jesus is enthroned with his Father in heaven. But until, but until the kingdoms in this world are brought, all of them brought underneath Jesus' feet, until all of the nations of the world are brought underneath his feet, we are going to experience the anger and the resistance of this present darkness that wants to hold him back from succeeding, from ultimately taking his rightful place. In praying this morning, I, and I still have it, I, I had a picture of Jesus standing in the stern of a brilliant, brilliant white and red lifeboat. The bow is nudged into the sand and rocks of the shore. And Jesus is firmly planted in the bow of the boat. He's in, one foot in the rib of the belly of the nose of the thing, and the other foot standing on the seat of the bow, his leg and his knee tucked up against the rail of the leading edge of the boat, and he is stretching out his hand toward me. 
and he's beckoning me to come with him. Take my hand, I hear him saying. Take my hand and come with me. Now, this has been quite a week, really. Not what I had signed up for. Certainly, this week anyways. And really, not what I signed up for when I originally said yes to Jesus, to journeying with him. I've felt that many times, actually. <laughs> I'll bet there are some of you that know exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't sign up for this. On Wednesday afternoon, I was invited into a telephone conference call with pastors and leaders of faith from across our province. Together with Debbie and with Barkley here, we, we spent an hour on the telephone with the premier of our province and two of his cabinet ministers overseeing the efforts of this province to create safeguards against the effects of this global health crisis. Numbers of you have received a communication from our team, and there are, of course, copies, if there's some left at the back table for you, if you didn't get that. Our response to COVID-19. Now, that communication came about after consultations with the province, and then again with our own Vineyard Canada Foundations team, and then again with our, some of our first responders here and our and, and some of our professional um, nurses, and then with our elders, and then pushed out to our directors, and oh goodness. And all that said, our immediate thought, though coming out of that meeting, that time with the premier and the ministers, of which I'm going to say I was actually pretty impressed with, pretty, pretty, pretty impressed with, all of them with, I thought Premier Hogan was, was really well-spoken and, and there was something that he said towards the end that has not left me where he talked about this being a very, very humble situation and place that we find ourselves. He used that word. I thought, wow, this is humbling. But our immediate thought actually coming out of that was to contact Naomi Hay because we knew that she was fixing to get on a plane to come up here. Now, for some of you, maybe I'll be aware, I think we all know who Naomi is here. I'm looking at her room. But she's scheduled to fly into Canada the next day, the next day from Guatemala. Timing was actually just amazing. And we had absolute agreement amongst the three of us. We need to talk to Naomi because we knew that she would be in the middle of, we'll use that word, the swirl of the situation, and we needed to come alongside her as friends and as pastors, as leaders, to say, hey. But you know what? <laughs> it must have been a miracle, because FaceTime worked right away. Debbie was able to connect with her. And she soiled herself away in some area of a downtown mall, did I say soiled or siloed? 
I meant to say siloed, but yeah, she tucked herself away. How's that? Sequestered. Wow. And then we asked the question in advance, wondering about her thoughts around coming to Canada. What are you thinking? In light of something that was still like unfolding with air travel and quarantines and, and in brief, and I'll cut to the chase here, Naomi shared that she would not be deterred by fear. I'm just not going to turn around. I'm not going to be deterred by fear. But she confessed to a great unease in her that had been stirring for some time. There was a real lack in herself when she considered this trip to Canada. She'd, in fact, had gone to seek out some counsel. Great idea to talk to them about maybe some issues that were in her heart towards this. She wanted to see what was at the root of it. Why am I not happy about going to Canada? Why do I feel like not wanting to go when that's hard? That's like never the situation. Now, our counsel to Naomi was simple. We affirmed that God was leading her. We affirmed that she hears God really well. I can still hear Barclay's voice when he said that. Naomi, you hear God really well. And that knot in her gut, that sense or lack of joy that she had when she considered coming to Canada was in fact the Holy Spirit preparing her in advance to hand it all over to him. Right? It's a beautiful story. It's great. Simple, but beautiful. Well, she's not that simple. As it turned out, Guatemala entirely closed its borders. Both to the inbound travelers from Europe, the U.S., and Canada. Bam, bam, bam. And as Debbie had said to you earlier this morning, if she had come, we would have actually had to put her in quarantine for 14 days anyways. Never mind trying to get her back into the country so that she could be there for her staff and, and especially for her children. A number of them who are absolutely vulnerable to this sickness. See, what I learned about all of this is that in advance of everything that was going on, Jesus knows what's going on. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Like he knew. He knew in advance. He'd already tucked it into Naomi's heart about what was coming up, and he wasn't letting her have any joy in the idea of coming to Canada. He'd scrooged it all away. You're not going to, no, I'm not giving you joy for this because you're not supposed to go. Yeah, you just heard that. The right answer for Naomi was a relief to her spirit. Peace. Psalm 65, 5, verse 7. Who wants to read this for me with the mic? Oh, you'd have to talk into a mic that I've been speaking into, mind you. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. 
who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Then an awesome... This is God, our Savior. Jesus is in control. And he wants us to look for him. He wants us to look for the way of peace. He's with you. He's in the stern of your boat. He's with you. He's with me. We need to look for the way of peace, right? Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Are you headed a direction that isn't got peace on it? It looks tempting, but there's no peace. <laughs> Pay attention. As you're stepping towards things and it's really miserable, that is a good time to discern, to go seek counsel and to say, what is going on? As I'm reminded by this story and by the activity this week, Jesus cares for us. Jesus loves and cares for his people. It's why he came. It's why he laid down his life. And Jesus is still on a mission, and you know, I don't know how to say it. He's on a mission to save everyone. He's not willing, I know by the word of God, it says he's not willing that any should perish. He sets a very high bar, doesn't he? Well, maybe not that one, God. Not that one. I don't even get along with that person. Like, come on. Are you sure? Yeah. Love your enemy, David. Love them. I do. His will is that none should perish. That high bar, Jesus is still on a mission to bring all of the kingdoms under his feet and into the loving, the loving, the loving rule of his Father in heaven. And I want to share something with you. When I think of this story, I think of that boat, I think of my life being like that boat and Jesus in my boat with me. And I think of us. I want to say that Jesus alive in us and working through us welcomes healing. Jesus alive in us and working through us ushers in deliverance. Jesus alive in us and working through us brings hope and forgiveness. Jesus alive in us and working through us breaks sickness and disease and ushers in absolute healing and freedom. Jesus, I want to say to you, is our peace. And when that peace is stirred up in us and woken up in us, it comes with an authority and a power that rebukes the storm and brings complete calm. Calm was it when Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves. It was completely calm.